The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. geeks and welcome to another edition of wizards half this is mini episode 88.5 these are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode i'm adam and i'm mike before we get into all the different segments we have to talk about here one of our listeners uh charlton hero uh, on x and the other socials chris bailey reached out to me he gives me the rob report okay because i don't listen to the rob observations podcast anymore as a rule we're blocked i don't really follow (laughs) rob's tweets you know but he's like you need to be aware Rob just had an episode where he was once again criticizing Wizard Magazine, trying to knock it down a peg or two. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to this episode. He's trying to prove how terrible Wizard Magazine was, or the wizard, as he always calls it. I don't know if he does that because he's insulting it, or he's an old man. Like, why does he call it (laughs) the wizard? I don't know. But he's trying to say that they were manipulating the audience okay like the people that were reading wizard were sheep and wizard was trying to tell you what to think about comics not reporting the facts and letting you make your own decisions and this episode for those who want to go listen to it for yourself it was called the eras that shaped us the 90s media the biz and the beat so there's a lot of titles going on there. I don't know if it's going to be an ongoing series, if he's going to revisit this. He kind of indicated that it might be. But basically what Rob was doing was he was reading Wizard Editor-in-Chief Pat McCallum's Collecting Comics in the 90s columns from the first year of Wizard Magazine and then scoffing at him for sharing opinions of the various trends of comics in the 90s, especially regarding image comics and like collectability of comics and things like that. But this was an opinion column. Collecting comics in the 90s. <laughs> this is my op-ed. I'm, I'm just giving you my thoughts. I, I know comics are his world. This is what he's lived with since he was a teenager. He treats it, though, as if it were an election campaign or, or, you know, the New York Times. This is comic books, Rob. This isn't serious. Like, I know it was for him because, you know, that was his livelihood. But it's comic books. It's not brain surgery or electing the next president. We're not dealing with life or death situations here. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, and Rob has said in the past, he's like, my philosophy is always, is it fun? But the way he talks <sighs> about things, it's never fun. Now, here's what he was doing, though. So he would take Pat's opinions in that column and then basically, like, dissect it, say, oh, look at him say this, look at him say this. And then he would compare it to comic book retailers who were writing in to the Overstreet Comic Book Monthly magazine, which were more favorable towards Image, maybe or at the very least more middle of the road in their reporting on sales activity in their stores. So boring. This is what we're selling this month. Yeah, this is doing pretty good, you know. But Rob's point that he kept coming back to was that Wizard should have been more balanced in their reporting, not sharing these opinions. They should have been listening to the retailers who were actually selling the books. But I think what it is, is like you're saying, Mike, Rob completely missed the point 
of why people were reading Wizard Magazine and how it managed to be so popular for 20 years. The fans wanted opinions. They wanted to feel like they were talking to someone at the comic book shop who wasn't afraid to speak their mind, who actually had a point of view, not a spreadsheet of data, right? Like, agree or disagree... It was funny and entertaining. Funny now, not so much. At the time, you know, if you were of a certain mindset, yes, the wizard jokes would hit you hard. But I, I think it's great to let the audience decide if they thought the ideas that Pat or anybody in the magazine we were sharing had validity and include some market data, you know. But who wanted the farm report? for comic books or a 15-page interview with a creator who had his head up his butt about comic books who took it so seriously like you're saying <laughs> so because of that i actually ran a poll because we want to we want to deal with numbers right rob so let's take a look here and let's see what were the people saying was the reason they read wizard magazine back in the day the four categories were hard-hitting journalism which is apparently what rob wanted <laughs> snarky opinions and humor price guide or the pretty pictures so that's 187 people voting that's a that's a pretty large number for yeah. a, a vote on twitter i fall in the pretty pictures category myself i i was just a kid that liked looking at what was coming out and the journalism didn't affect me that much I, it really didn't you like what you like based on the images like I, even having my own comic i've noticed People are kind of turned off by the interior art, say, or some people like the cover so much they're going to buy the cover. People aren't that swayed by journalism. I think more now we're swayed by social media than a an article in Wizard. Yeah, well, and I think at the time it was like, okay, Wizard and the Tastemakers, everybody's seeing how popular the magazine is. Everybody's talking about, did you see this in Wizard? Oh, there was this report. This was so cool. And so they, they definitely had an influence here. I personally, I was reading for the articles and the comic book okay. history and all those types of things. But did it influence you? Do you feel like you were duped into buying comics that sucked at them? See, that's the thing. Yeah, ultimately, it just it comes down to your personal preference, like you're saying. Like they could yeah. they could present it to you, they put it in front of you. But that's why I think Rob is not giving comic book fans credit for their own intelligence to say, yeah, no, I hear what they're saying. I agree or I don't agree. Like I, I you know, it doesn't mean whatever Wizard said is gospel. But here were the results of our poll as far as what everybody else was thinking about this. So for hard-hitting journalism, 16.6% people said that was the reason. Yeah. And they, and they kind of added commentary, I think some of them saying like, well, really it was just like they would teach me about comics and I thought that was cool. Behind the scenes, you know, that's what they considered. Snarky opinions and humor. 44.4%. Okay, so overwhelming. That's number one. <laughs> That's what people wanted. They wanted the attitude. They wanted the fun. They wanted the jokes. 13.4% said the price guides. Those are the hardcore collectors. I want to know what my stuff is worth. And finally, the pretty pictures like Mike, 25.7%. So a lot of people just wanted to see the exclusive art, reports on what was coming out. But the majority of everybody wanted this. They were reading for the fun. I think the thing that manipulates the market the most is the price guide. And that is still happening to this day. You see it on Key Collector. There, there's manipulation of the of prices constantly. To me, if you're going to blame anything, blame just having price guides existence. A hundred percent. And I'll just say, like, my final thought on all of this is when you look at the other 
wizard imitators, which is what they were. They saw even publications that existed previously, they started changing their format to be like wizard. But so I'm talking about the, this Overstreet Comic Book Monthly or Hero Illustrated or Fan Magazine or Combo, like all of that. They maybe lasted four to five years in that format if they were lucky. Wizard stayed in publication for two decades. So they were doing something right. Even if Rob didn't like what they had to say, the majority of people did. You know, you could say, oh, they're manipulating. No, people have their own minds. People can make their choices. And yes, they might have been giving this similar opinion on the clone saga or whatever else for, you know, many, many months throughout a year. But these are just what people were already saying in the comic book shops, I believe. I think it's what you were telling your friends anyway. You're like, oh man, when is this thing going to be over? We all were making fun of different parts of different comics like i don't know i don't want to get into the details of it but yeah i don't know why he's very hung up on this i'm not a therapist (laughs) yep rob uh, i'm sure we'll hear from you again soon but in the meantime thanks for giving us a chance to to have a little fodder for conversation but we got to get into what the people came here for they want the main event here mike they want to see a battle between two comic book characters that they were never going to see happen in the pages of a comic although we just heard marvel and dc are starting to collaborate again so maybe (laughs) but let's get into our last man standing All right, Mike, who are our combatants this time around? All right, today we have Deadpool versus Hitman. And I'm going to walk you through their stats. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Deadpool, which is surprising to me, he's 6'2 in comics. And Hitman is 5'10". Wade Wilson weighs 215 pounds, while Hitman's 180. I I would have had that flipped on both sides. I'm very confused by this. The reach is 74 inches for Deadpool, 70 inches for Hitman. Hometown of Deadpool is San Francisco. Gotham City is Hitman. Kills. Deadpool has 266 and Hitman has 110. For a guy called Hitman, he doesn't have a lot of kills. (laughs) That can't be right. The amount of people that die in his comics. But I think just because Hitman was a little bit newer of a character. Okay, yeah. So by that point, disfigurement. Gross skin on Deadpool and gross eyes. (laughs) It's the shades, I guess. Yeah. So I I will say that uh, the art that we have here is by Ian Churchill. And boy, is this beautiful. Like the the look of this, just the detail in it is fantastic. I know he had been like, Last seen, as far as I knew, at Wizard reported he was doing his work uh, with Awesome Entertainment, but I don't know that he had anything else going on at this point if he had jumped to another company. So good to see his work pop up again. Now, uh, as far as how this whole battle would go down, here's how Wizard has it mapped out in their heads. So having been lured into the cauldron, the section of Gotham City that's Monaghan's home turf, as I learned in our CBIQ quiz when I got that wrong, <laughs> Wilson, a student of that if you're gonna do it make the explosion really big theory takes out monahan's entire apartment complex in case he's inside he isn't searching the rubble for his opponent deadpool leaves himself open for hitman's attack a barrage from an automatic rifle and a handmade pipe bomb severely wounded but already regenerating deadpool drags himself to shelter as hitman gives chase now i'm gonna stop right here who do you think is winning, Mike? When you look at this, we're getting down to it. The climax of the battle. 
Who's going to come out on top? Even before you started, to me, it's Deadpool. Deadpool should win. I think Deadpool wins only because of the regeneration factor. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. So looking to pinpoint his prey and end things quickly, Hitman reaches out with his telepathy to scan Wade's mind. Big mistake. Stunned by the insane mess that is Wilson's mind, Hitman lets out a scream that lets Deadpool know where he is, and blam! The dazed Hitman becomes just another slash in Deadpool's kill book. Just like he messed with his mind, with his own mind, unintentionally. <laughs> very clever there so man a deadpool versus hitman especially back in the day that would have been a very fun crossover all right well now it's time that we get to a different type of contest not a contest of champions but some wizard giveaways with caps kooky contests So Marvel Entertainment presents Recruit the New Supernatural. So, of course, based on the Supernaturals comic that we talked about a little while back. But, Mike, why don't you give them the rundown on the possible prizes that were up for grabs here? All right. I'm going to start with the second prize is a five-night creatures each fly away with the Supernaturals number one in poster. Ooh, got to get my hands on that poster. First prize... Two, just as lucky Ghost Riders each win all the Supernaturals comics signed by Brian Polito and a nifty Ghost Rider resurrected trade paperback signed by Howard Mackey and a Supernaturals poster. The grand prize, one lucky Night Owl wins an original page of Ivan Rice Supernaturals art signed by Brian Polito, the four Supernaturals comics signed by Polito, and a cool Ghost Rider resurrected trade paperback signed by Howard Mackey in a Supernaturals poster. Man, Adam, I think that Ivan Rice art would be incredible to own. Yeah, I mean, like, th this is some good-looking stuff in this comic. The story, again, was kind of like, yeah. eh, but but the art was very fun for the time. So definitely getting a piece of original art to your collection. Something to compete for. But how do you compete for it? Well, let's find out here. The spine-tingling team of the Supernaturals, Brother Voodoo, Ghost Rider, Black Cat, Gargoyle, Satana, and Werewolf by Night is looking to recruit a new member, and it needs you to help it out. Get out your pencils and create a brand new, never-before-seen character who can be part of the team of magical heroes draw him name him and send in the artwork we'll choose the most creative as the winner when you're done creating the magical character fill out the edgy four below attach it to the back of your drawing and send it in interesting uh, that they want this new character to come in to the series that was just like a four issue mini series that never came back so <laughs> I, I i'll be interested to see the results in you know their drawing board section eventually what people were coming up with but the other part of it too that i think is strange is come up with an all new character but these were all existing characters that they brought together for a team so it's like yes if they should have said pull another supernatural character from marvel redesign it like we redesigned for this i'm just saying to keep it on topic for what supernaturals is all about well they want to make it as difficult as possible for the readers adam come on <laughs> it's true <laughs> All right, uh, in the uh, special legal text here, which they're calling deadly text, okay? So this is telling us, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, Marvel Entertainment, Chaos Comics, their immediate families, and people who cruise cemeteries at night for fun. Have you ever done this, Mike? Cruise the cemetery at night for fun. <laughs> Uh, you know what how about how about at dusk i used to like to before what my dog passed away last year or two years ago now and i used to take him on walks at night in the local cemetery down the street so i guess i am one of them 
<laughs> well, and I'm wondering now that he's passed on, when you pass the cemetery at night, do you hear him howling? Howling. Ooh. Well, I have his ashes in our room still. <laughs> I should bring him there. He loves that cemetery. That's what I'm saying. Oh, this is a new story for you to write, Mike. Come on. Yeah, I think so. I might have one already written. You know. Hey, <laughs> let's move on over to our next contest here, which may be a little bit more high profile, some might say, as far as popularity of what people were glomming on to at this moment in time. And that is, ooh, this is actually pretty cool. So the next contest is a Marvel Entertainment presents Marvel Knights Word Jumble. I guess Marvel really had this issue locked up for contests. Do they always have them locked up? I uh, Not really, but not I think really they have... were the most ready to play ball with Wizard as opposed to DC. Gotcha. Okay. The prizes we have this time, uh, second prize was 10 Inhumans, each capture of Marvel Knights t-shirt and poster, okay? Uh, first prize was five Hellcats, each win a Marvel Knights t-shirt, a Marvel Knights poster, plus the first issue of the four Marvel Knights titles, Daredevil, Punisher, Black Panther, and the Inhumans, signed by the creators, that's pretty cool. And then the grand prize, one knight in shining armor wins a cool red daredevil prototype statue from Bowen Design signed by Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiotti, Kevin Smith, and Randy Bowen. An original page of daredevil art by Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti. The first issue of the four Marvel Knights titles signed by the creators, a copy of the Marvel Knights tour book, and a Marvel Knights t-shirt. That is a great prize pack. I want to know where all those people signed. It's like somebody signed on the head, somebody signed on his lower back. Like, how did they well, do that? Are they, yeah, that's a lot of people on one statue. Yeah. I'd say the bottom. Or, or across a leg. <laughs> all right, so here's what you have to do to slink away with those peachy keen prizes. Using the words Marvel Knights, make as many words, three letters or more, as you can and send us the list. The words don't have to be comic related. They just need to be in English. Here's one to get you started. R. That's A-R-E. See how simple that is? If we get more than one entrant with the highest total amount of words, we'll choose one at random to be the winner. Get going! Okay, they must have received so many entries for this. It's so easy. I can't believe I never submitted. Any one of those prize packs, like you said, would have been awesome to have. Like, even just the Marvel Knights t-shirt? Like, I want to know yeah. what that was. Was that just the logo? Like, what did they do with that? Has any winners reached out to us on Instagram? You know what's interesting Twitter? is it's never the winners of these contests. It's always the winners who submitted art that they were selected for, like, kind of the ongoing in the various columns or, like, uh, you know, homemade heroes. So, like, all those, but never for the sponsored contests. It's kind of interesting. I don't know why those people are in hiding and not still connected to wizard magazine but or was there no contest <laughs> <laughs> all right in our legal text here it's matt murdoch's law and contest is open to anyone except employees of wizard entertainment marvel entertainment their immediate families and anyone who hasn't seen chasing amy come on it's a comic book movie for heaven's sake go rent it <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else here? So here's our second joke of the legal text. This is pretty good. If an entrant, having been declared as a winner, does not accept the prize or the prize or prize notification is undeliverable, Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti may ride your house, steal your dog, and another entry will be selected. <laughs> well, that does it for the contest this issue, but hey... There was maybe a contest in Hollywood as to who would be cast as your favorite comic book characters. And that's why we got to check out this issue's casting call. 
so this issue's casting call, Wizard Cast the Thor movie. So this is what they write. It's time to drop the hammer on Hollywood. The world's most massive thunder god Thor is screaming for his own movie. And when an immortal with the strength to lift an oil tanker opens his mighty mouth, we're certainly gonna listen. Did you hear that, Hollywood? Thor, the coming of Ragnarok. Interesting they say that, eh, Adam? Ragnarok, because they end up using it. Yeah. Um, it's a godlike idea. One that take the Asgardian hero from Earth to the heavens, down to the depths of hell and back again. When the forces of evil combine to usher in the end of the world, Ragnarok, they find Thor and his Asgardian comrades standing against him. Yep, we're talking Royal Rumble here, folks. The gods smile upon this one. A Thor movie would definitely be mana from heaven. Forget the popcorn, though. For such an action-packed thrill fest, we're going to need a flagon of mead and a turkey drumstick the size of a Buick. <laughs> All right. Well, so they got their premise in place. Now we're going to yep. see who they're going to slot in to fill the roles in live action. So this first one here is a total, huh? <laughs> because yeah. for Thor, the God of Thunder, they want Ralph Moeller, <laughs> who apparently was Conan on a Conan Adventures TV series I never knew existed. I know. Well, he's got the he's got long hair. They really went for the look with this one. Again, I haven't seen it either. But Adam, you know what? They went with Chris Hemsworth, and he was an unknown. So maybe Ralph would have been perfect. Maybe so. I mean, he looks like a super ultra tad version of the Beastmaster. That's what he looks yeah, like to that's me. That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> so for his alter ego jake olsen they go with ed burns which you know image wise they pick an image that is looks identical to what is it john ramita's artwork yeah i have to tell you this this is something with ed burns that happened to me this week which is my wife loves the my big fat greek wedding movies okay, yeah. and for all these years I thought that the husband, you know, the guy she marries at the end of the first yeah. was Ed Burns. And it's not. But for all these years, I was like, oh, yeah, Ed Burns. He's in the my big fat Greek wedding films. I was wrong. <laughs> for Janine Turner, who is, I guess, Jake Olson's girlfriend. If Fia Jake Olson's fiance, Hannah yeah. Fairmont, ever needed a kidney, we'll ask her physical and spiritual alter ego, Janine Turner from Northern Exposure, to cough it up. So my wife just started watching Northern Exposure now, where she's going through the whole series of binging wow. it. So I'm like, oh, it's that girl. Okay. I, I have no clue who she is. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then for Jane Foster, they go with Celia Ward. And now I feel like that was a name I was familiar with for a while. And I think I met her, Adam. Oh, really? Yeah. During a, I used to work for Disney for a short time and we did a press junket and I think she came. I'm trying to figure out what is her most like high profile role. They say the fugitive, but I feel yeah. like I've heard that name connected to something else, but I don't know. She's on the day after tomorrow and whatever, but was she in a movie with Kevin Costner? Yeah. The guardian. That was the movie I wore. Yeah. So I did, oh. meet her. I did. I was doing publicity for Disney at the time that the guardian came out and Celia Ward. I had met her briefly, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, I know her from the uh, Shelley Long movie, Hello Again, where oh, Shelley okay. Long is brought back from the dead. Okay. Wow, <laughs> deep cut there. I don't know that one. That sounds great. For Demetrius Collins, who is Jake Olson's paramedic, you know, EMT partner, yeah. they want Tommy Davidson from In Living Color, but then he's in Booty Call. He's like, this is what they're referencing here. Like, he, he tried to get a movie career going. I think he's in Joanna Man. He's the main guy in that. So Tommy Davidson's cool. 
I'm all for it. You need some humor because that Ralph is not going to be funny. I can guarantee it. <laughs> all right. As Odin, they go with Dan Haggerty. If you think there's a better man to play Odin, the father of the Asgardian gods, than the disheveled, crazy looking Dan Haggerty. <laughs> You're a few sandwiches short of a picnic. When... Grizzly Adams did have a beard. You know, like this is just <laughs> Grizzly Adams is the show like from the 70s that we're too young for, but apparently like really caught people's attention. Now it's a meme. I'm sure you've seen this meme, you know, where the guy, the bearded guy turns around and, and he, he does gets that, that little yeah. wink. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like. I always confuse him with the guy that played Santa Claus in Santa Claus the movie. Oh, yeah. I get them mixed up because Dan Haggerty could play Santa Claus Yeah, as well. same era, <laughs> same look, that's for sure. Yeah. Alright, now we're getting into the Warriors 3. So this is where you want to see, like, who they would have gone with, because we know who we got in the movies, and it's kind of like, oh, they were fine, I guess. But First off, for Volstagg, the voluminous, <laughs> they want George Booza, which is not- yes! You know I'm him? all for this. I'm all for this, Adam. I would see him around town. He's a Toronto-based actor. Oh. He was in everything. Like, <laughs> everything I grew up with. He was in a show called Read All About It, which I talk endlessly about to anyone who will listen. He was in The Littlest Hobo. He was actually Beast in X-Men the Animated Series. Oh, wow. Really? So, okay. Another story, a lot of the X-Men voice actors are Canadian-based. So like uh -huh, Wolverine, right. Cal Dodds, he lives in Toronto. When I worked on the movie The Nut Job, I had started out as a PA and eventually became the, a PM on that movie. But I had to travel around delivering scripts to all the actors. And one of them was Cal Dodds. This is, has nothing to do with George Buza. But George, I would see all the time. So I am all in on George Buza's full stack. <laughs> That's great. I am too now. You sold me. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He's going to be in X-Men 97. I'm just Ooh. reading about it now. <laughs> All right. Well, how about for fan draw? Who do we get here? You got Carrie Elwise. Can't go wrong. This is great casting. Yeah. For the Princess Bride, he looks exactly like him. Just changed the color of his outfit. Ready yeah. to go. Uh, for Hogan the Grim, they want Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn, it's so weird. I know he, he's had a long career. I know him from Sucker Punch. <laughs> that movie where he plays like the weird like army general guy that she goes to in her fantasy type thing and i'm like scott glenn because that movie just like stuck out to me so much it's terrible but it was it was unforgettable and i was just like scott glenn who is this guy that's a weird one for me it's just the right stuff that i'm think about him or silverado i was a big silverado fan who do we have up here for loki loki they go with james woods that's an interesting casting choice. They say he's bad to the bone. His sneer is framed on hell's fiery walls. You know, he, he was in Hercules and gave us oh. a great villainous performance. So I don't see. I, I didn't watch much Hercules. Oh, well, he's Hades. All right. Now this next one. Yeah. For the Enchantress, they want Hudson Leak, who was like so awesome on Xena Warrior Princess. She was like my favorite. Basically, if you looked at it, she's like, oh, she's the blonde opposite of Xena. She's the evil nemesis who looks just like her. You know, and I was just like, oh, I love this girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know her. So check out some old Xena, man. She's got okay. a perfect evil face. 
Well, that, that's a pretty good casting call for the 90s. I think this would have made for yeah. a good movie. We were in the era, speaking of Xena, of like Hercules, the legendary journeys had been popular, all those things. So I feel like it, it probably would have connected, even if Marvel made it a TV series, it might have been kind of fun. But speaking of fun, uh, I don't know if any of those series made it into the top 10 of syndicated programming, but I'm going to imagine they did. But we want to get into the top 10 here of the heroes and villains. Now let's take a look at the top 10 heroes and villains. Number one on the list is Spawn, my favorite. And so here's what they say. You know, for a guy with a rotting, meat, festering, sore-looking, but ugly head, Spawn is surprisingly popular. Know why? He chose the right career, comic book hero. You can be uglier than Marty Feldman after being whooped with a burlap sack full of doorknobs and still make it in this biz but can you imagine if spawn was say a door-to-door salesman instead he's so repulsive friggin ugly that he'd scare off potential customers before he even got a chance to pitch them on the virtues of a set of encyclopedias or aluminum siding or a set of steak knives or whatever he was hawking ah comics you always be the last refuge for the misfits <laughs> Oh, Spawn is a door-to-door salesman. That would be pretty early. I know he showed up in the very early issues at Wanda's house, you know, but he, he had turned into a white guy. Yeah, but, like, but I don't know if he was selling anything, if he if that was his cover. All right. <laughs> Number two is Wolverine. Okay, so Wolverine's how old? That's just it. We don't know. All we do know is that due to a series of false memory implants, flashbacks that might or might not be true, and the occasional World War II crossover with the Wildcats, That Wolverine's age is absolutely positively indeterminate, but we gotta assume he's pretty old, a pretty old codger by now. Just check out them wrinkles. A little oil of Olay could go a long way towards prettying him up, but we'll bet the old Knuckle head don't much care for what his mug looks like. He's too busy stomping ass to care. They are so obsessed with Wolverine's personal grooming. (laughs) As I've read these in the past, they're always talking about how he should like condition and moisturize and all this stuff. (laughs) He's like, give the guy a break <laughs> all right then the number three spot is witchblade then there's sarah bazzini little miss witchblade of 1998 she's much better looking than wolverine she's also back in possession of the witchblade that nifty neat mystical gauntlet that kicks bad guys butts from here to kalamazoo and still goes through this tin can like a hot knife through butter sarah was actually witchbladeless for a good long while but as soon as she get got it back in witchblade number 25 in parentheses ever notice how major events in comic characters life just have to happen in an issue divisible by 25 and parentheses everybody started going bonkers for sarah again you go girl <laughs> i did not know she lost the witchblade yeah number four is batman everyone thinks batman is the world's smartest superhero that's an arguable point think about it how smart is a guy who dresses up like a giant rodent 
That's right, rodent, as in small, gnawing, verminous animal that carries lice and disease. And Batman chooses to model himself after this example? Guess it could have been worse. What if it were a flying chihuahua that came through Bruce Wayne's window that fateful night? He'd be Chihuahua Man! That wouldn't work. Those Taco Bell Gorditas commercials don't exactly strike fear to the cowardly, superstitious hearts of criminals. <laughs> chihuahua Man. That I'd like to see. Better than Joanna, man. <laughs> All right. N- uh, number five is someone I have known very little about, only because I uh, never read it, but we talked about it on the full-length episode. It's Calabretto. He's got the armor of a tank, the firepower of a battalion, and he's kind to birds and other small animals. He's Calabretto, and he's chasing battle. We guess that's what the title means. And battle chasers every issue. Yep, Joe Matarera's Battle Chasers is about the most bestest thing to strike comic fans fancies since industrialized cans of extra strength cheese whiz. And that chaser everyone seems to dig most, this gentle giant, this machine with a human heart, this war golem, Calabretto. <laughs> yeah, chasing battles. That's what they do over there. Well, that's what I assume they did. <laughs> All right, number six is Thor. Uh, Hairbands are back. Winger, Warren, Poison, Twisted Sister, Rat, and now Thor in the Asgardians. Or not. Even though old Goldilocks looks like he stepped off a 1987 album cover, he's much more a supercharged superhero than a bad heavy metal singer. In fact, the only tune he knows is, I'm gonna kick bad guy ass blues. (laughs) But when he belts it out, that hammer of his becomes the most powerful percussion instrument. You'll be flat when he's done. All right, number seven is Captain America. Know what makes Cap so gosh darn cool? He commands more respect. Then Aretha Franklin, take a giant juggernaut powerhouse like Thor, who you just read about. Thor's a bit on the um, arrogant side, but then Thor assembles with the Avengers. He knows Cap's the man in charge. He'll follow Cap straight through the gates of hell, or even Cleveland. Why? Because Cap's been kicking butt and taking names for so long, everyone respects him. You the man, Cap. (laughs) they did have some cap fans in that office all right number eight is nightwing secrets of comicdom volume 153 collect them all any normal person in comics must take an iq test and be proven so flat out stupid that he can't figure out secret identities no matter how simple it's true so congratulations citizens of bloodhaven despite the fact that nightwing gains popularity and readership every month you still can't figure out the dick racing as nightwing even though his mask is about the same size of two bottle caps Get your eyes checked. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm amazed that Nightwing still, I think, is quite popular. He's, yeah. All right. Number nine, Fathom. Hey, baby, want to take a dive with me? Well, if you're going to get wet, Aspen Matthews is a pretty good partner to take the plunge with. Not only does she have funky aquatic powers, she's also the star of Fathom Number One, the single best-selling comic of 1998. And the best of all, hint, hint, if something happens to go wrong on your dive, maybe she'll give you a little mouth-to-mouth action. Hey, it's in the superhero rule book. They got to save you or the union kicks them out. Dive her down. <laughs> like in the Sandlot. Yeah. Wendy Peppercorn. All right. Have Fathom save you. But I didn't know they're saying it's the best-selling comic of 98? 
That's insane. That's, that's amazing. And that was the, you know, that's all Michael Turner, right? Yep. He sold comics. All right. Finally, the number 10 spot is Daredevil. For those of you keeping track at home, it has been approximately 128 months since anyone's given this much of a rip about Daredevil. Why the sudden interest? Well, at the risk of sounding repetitive, there's that Kevin Smith guy. He's writing the new Daredevil series, and he's such a small fella. He's even letting his buds Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti draw it. Put it all together, and you've got big popularity. Even even a blind man could see that. So there you go. Now we got to go from the most popular to the most forgotten, the most despised, the most mocked Mort of the Month. All right, who do we have this time around, Mike? Oh, it's Dr. Sun, and I have no idea who he is. So let's hear what they say. File this mort under, defeated by Herbie the robot. Yep, seems Dr. Sun, a scientist who figured out how to make brains live outside the human body, got his own brain, ooh, irony, put in your basic robot body. While trying to kill the Fantastic Four and take over the world and stuff, he was blown up real good by the horrible cutesy sidekick from the Fantastic Four cartoon that was wedged into the book. Herbie. The move saved the day and thankfully wrote Herbie out of the Fantastic Four forever. So, Sun got offed by a bad marketing crossover. Kind of makes you wonder if that's really a brain up there or just three pounds of chewed bubblegum. Wow. So this is interesting then. That. That's a bit of history. So, you know, we, we just got the announcement of the Fantastic Four movie yeah. on that painted poster that they used to announce it. So they actually did put him into the main continuity, but they're saying, did he die here then? Like, hurt because they're, they're saying that he was kicked out of the book forever at the after this battle, it sounds like. So I'm looking it up right now. Okay, so it, it's interesting. I don't, I can only find one Dr. Sun and it's from Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> which makes sense yeah, and actually quite funny <laughs> weird weird like i'm just i'm fantastic four fans out there help us find this issue because they don't give any reference point for it but i'd be fascinated to see if this okay. is the first and last appearance of her i found it his okay. first appearance is from D tomb of dracula number 16 what how could but he's this robot body with a brain He's got a big golden robot body and then a little jar on top with a brain uh, in it. Okay, what I don't like about this Mort of the Month is they don't really tell you anything. Because listen to this. The man who would become Dr. Sun was born in the People's Republic of China and became an important scientist working for the state. He was the mind behind Project Mind. <laughs> Aiming to separate a human brain from the rest of the body and linking it to a computer. Oh my god, this is unbelievable. His, his bio is like pages long, Adam. But I will say this, he was killed by Herbie. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up here too. That is, that is bizarre. Like, because they, yeah, they show this picture of him and it's the same picture that Wizard obviously pulled probably from the, the, the Marvel handbook, you know? So, wow, fascinating. <laughs> fighting Dracula, fighting Herbie the Robot. There so his go. death is in Fantastic Four 217. <laughs> Dr. Sun, now you know. Speaking of now you know, uh, we've been reading some comics this past week, and we want to talk about them just like Wizard was all those years back. So it's time that we check out the report card. School day. 
So in this issue, Wizard is reviewing four different comics, which is generally how things go. Uh, we didn't bother to read the X-Men at this point. Let's just tell you that they say X-Men extinct plots, and <laughs> they give the X-Men books at this time a C+. Plus. Wow. They were not happy with the direction of the X-Books at this point, and they were kind of in limbo. I mean, this is kind of this weird in-between period we were just talking about on the main episode. They're trying to find a regular writer. They're trying to, you know, see what they could do with that. But what we did read was Thor. This is the Heroes Return Thor relaunch by Dan Jurgens and John Romita Jr. History with Thor for you, Mike. Did you ever pick up Thor comics? No. It, even my dad, he collected it, but he never would read it to me as like a young kid. I think my the extent of my Thor knowledge at the time would have been with uh, if he appeared in that Incredible Hulk cartoon yes and i don't even know if it was out by this point in canada and i knew him from adventures in babysitting and then he was in the hulk tv movie that too i would i was going to mention that the hulk tv movie that was my thor knowledge and i love we didn't talk about it in the previous segment i love the guy that plays thor in that movie he's great you know reading these i was a little confused i always thought his alter ego was someone else I didn't know it was the well, he guy. was. So that's the thing. So traditionally it was Dr. Donald Blake. Yes. Had, and he had his little cane and he would hit his cane on the ground. But in the 80s, they kind of got rid of that and they just they separated them. And then Thor was just kind of his own thing, is what I understood. Like he just kind of became, I'm just Thor all the time. And then when the whole onslaught thing happened and the Avengers like sacrificed themselves, right? So Heroes Reborn happens because Rob Liefeld wants to have Thor and his Avengers, but when they do the heroes return for the Avengers, for the Fantastic Four, for all those books, they didn't have a creative team for Thor, so he didn't come back. They just said, oh, he's lost in limbo. He's just, he's stuck there. He's not coming back for a while. And then they finally got Dan Jurgens on to write it. And then like, okay, John Reader Jr. wants to draw it. Great. And so it was, but this was like many, many months after everybody else was already back, Thor returns. I love the premise of this series though. Yeah, why don't, why don't you read it or explain it? However you want yeah, to okay. Here's what Wizard says. After failing to save the life of paramedic Jake Olson, Thor, this guardian god of thunder, is forced by the mysterious entity Marnot to serve penance by living the remainder of Olson's life. Now Thor must share his time searching for his lost Asgardian comrades and fitting into a human's life, one that is very different from his own. It's such a cool little premise, like him having to be Thor in the body of this guy he doesn't know or the life he doesn't know. And he, he has to put on like, a regular human American's voice, but then sometimes slips in front of the girlfriend of this man. It, it's just super weird. Was he dating Jane Foster at this point or no? I, I, I think their relationship was always on again, off again. Off again. I mean, yeah. when he was in Asgard for like years and years, you know, he doesn't have time to hang out with this earth woman, but and that was kind of in the movies too, right? She's like, uh, you just ditched me, you know, but that yeah. that's the thing. So, I like this setup as well. I think it's fun. Like, again, they're trying to go back to, okay, he's tied to a human, but give it a little bit more of something. Give it a little bit more stranger in a strange world. Because, you know, in the old comics, he was just Donald Blake. And then he's like, oh, Thor should be here to save the day. And then he just transforms into Thor. There's no sharing of their mental, you know, existence, really. Yeah, and here yeah. it's like, okay, he's always Thor, but he's in this dead guy's body. 
I know it's so weird. I love it. I kind of they give it an A, and I would give this an A as well. I I wish I had read this back in the day. Yeah, and they spend most of the time just talking about how much they like it, and the bad is very short. They just say, the whole exchange between Marnot and Thor seems a little too convenient. Some all-new mysterious guy shows up, and he's got the power to journey to hell and push Thor around. It sounds a bit forced to us. Even worse, he follows Thor around like the ghost of Christmas past, telling the Thunder God what he can and cannot do. That now, was my criticism as well. I don't care if, if they bring Marnot back and there's a mystery involved there. I like that it's a setup, but I probably won't unless we have to review more issues, won't come back to the series, but I would love to know if Marnot does come back because I think they set him up kind of mysteriously and he's forcing him to do this. That's great planting seeds, story seeds, in my opinion. Well, yeah, like Thor is supposed to go to hell. And then Marnot like takes him out to heal is like, oh, it's Marnot. Like, wait, yeah, whoa. Better not do and it's like, <laughs> so everybody recognizes his power, but readers have never seen this guy before. So you're like, is he somebody we know? Is it secretly Odin in a, like another body? Like, what, what is the you know story? Now, I will say this, as far as Wizards Review, listen to how high they were on this. The skinny. As far as good Thor stories go, writer-artist Walt Simonson's run from the mid-1980s has long been considered the be-all and end-all. Until now. With epic stories, phenomenal art, and a human quality, this new Thor series has the potential to join Simonson's run as one of the greatest the God of Thunders ever had. Wow, this is such praise. I'm up there with them. I, I think if people are listening and haven't read it, if you can find them in the dollar bins, just grab these. I see them all the time. They do also review the Legion of Superheroes books, and they have been very high on them in the past. But this, as I was reading and looking at the publication history, this is like the last year, year and a half of this story. And then like this creative team goes away and the book gets canceled. So I think maybe they were running out of gas because this was Tom Payer, Tom McGraw, Jason Armstrong, this kind of group that had been doing Legion of Superheroes heroes and legionnaires for a long time legion is one of those books where like it was so popular in the 60s when it started and people loved it the legion fans like there's very few of them but they mm -hmm. are like the most rabid like they're like we love everything about this book but mike i feel like you and i we both took a look and then we decided we can't keep reading all these issues they want us to read and why was that it's such a mess. The art is a mess. The story is nonsensical. There's too many characters. Even the, the lettering is feels rushed. Honestly, the, the lettering hurt my eyeballs to read it at points. I come in and out of Legion. Like, I'll pick up, oh, they're starting a Legion series again, and I'll end up reading, like, the first five issues. Like, I think uh, Brian Michael Bendis did a short run a few years ago, and I was like, I'm all in, but then I was quickly out within three issues. I do that all the time with Legion. A little little tidbit, Adam, that you may not know about me. At one point, I had this manager here in Canada and a Warner Brothers producer reached out to them and said, we're looking for someone to adapt, uh, I forget the character's name, a Legionnaire who I'd never heard of, like Green Dragon, let's say. I can't even right. remember the character's name. I, I think this was a low-level exec that was just trying to like push ideas. And I had to then read a ton of Legion comics. And I really liked it. This was like 80s era. And we wrote a pitch for a prison break Legion movie, Legionnaire's movie. 
where these no-name legionnaires are stuck in this prison and have to escape this prison. I was so excited for it, and it literally went nowhere. I heard nothing about it. I spent like two weeks on it. (laughs) That does sound super fun, and because they're all so specifically powered, that's great. Like, you bring in everybody with their specialty to break out. Like, that's awesome. And, you know, I I was saying, okay, there's not a lot of Legion fans. I think there are, because Mm -hmm. these books just stayed in publication for decades, and I think it's like just enough to keep the book being published but it's never like a runaway hit but the stuff that i've read because i've dipped into some of the 80s stuff too and i I have a few of the 60s comics even in adventure comics but this is what wizard says about it and this is kind of how i feel they say the bad the legion books are clearly tailored for legion fans the new ones for one there's way too many characters granted a larger team cast has long been a legion staple but it's usually been handled in a way that you don't realize it in these issues it's chaotically noticeable with too many characters the stories are scattershot cutting back and forth between multiple groupings each issue plus the stories never slow down long enough for you to get to know these heroes or to see what certain characters powers are so that's kind of how i feel it's like you're supposed to know all this and i'm just like i don't i don't know anything and you're not setting it up and i know it would take too long to set it up and i don't want to invest that time got to go to wikipedia for each of these characters yeah so it's just yeah it's just the the price of entry is even higher than x-men because at least x-men like you've seen them in different media so you have the shorthand of the cartoon or the movies but legion not really like i think a few appearances in little like animated series here and, and there. even but- in the world they live in it, it's like 10,000 years from now. It's it's so nonsense. I don't understand it. Yeah, I do have to say, though, I love their wrap-up here. The Skinny. Talk about disappointment. With a history of entertaining fans, we came into Legion expecting to read some fun cosmic stories. Instead, we were faced with a zillion characters, little characterization, and more hokiness than Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I think Saved by the Bell has better storytelling capabilities than this <laughs> the issue. The grade was a D. I, I, the only thing I will say, I really do like Jeff Moy's art. On, oh really uh, yeah i think he, he did legionnaires and it was actually pretty good i, I okay, like so i did not read that one i read the legion of superheroes yeah 103 to 105 yeah all right but i do know that you read this final book mike and you've been reading it for years boy do we have a lot to talk about here uh we just interviewed the creator that is not skewing my opinion of this book the Savage Dragon. Now they are talking about issues 47 to 52. So crossing through a milestone, yeah. 50th issue and all this stuff here. So the thing I want to say here is, is the setup for this period of the dragon is they say the dragon's the leader of the SOS Special Operations Strike Force, a superhero team which polices the world for supervillain threats. Super strong, tough and able to regenerate almost any part of his body. No one, not even Dragon himself, knows how he got that way. Which is interesting because that's really the setup for just Savage Dragon. It does not set you up. People think of him as a police officer and now he's like a government agent. What we're about to discuss is exactly why I love Savage Dragon. Stuff happens. Every issue. It just keeps moving. It's a freight train of entertainment. Because Adam, I dare you to try to summarize issues 47 to 52. 
I cannot like that, 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 but see what you love about it. And I, I recognize the appeal. This is like Legion for me. There are so oh. many characters in this universe that he has created that literally like every other page okay. is a new story with a new set of characters. And you're just like, Oh my goodness. Like I'm supposed to know all these people, you know? Okay. Like, I have a base knowledge. So that's, that's my bad there. Yeah. Because like I wish we had started from the beginning and read this together because I forgot how much happens. I think that's what I'm impressed by. When I pick up a Batman book, it's like reading Tom King's Batman. It's like from issue 70 through 85, the only thing that happened is Alfred dies. That's it. Alfred dies, right? This, it's like this character's dead. This person's now just a brain. Hitler is a brain with a gun. <laughs> Well, that's the strangest part. Like, this is where, like, I'm saying, like, the price of entry is so high to have to know the lore because the villain he's fighting is a combination of three of his villains now. There's Brainy Ape who had Hitler's brain in his body, but now the brain in the body is this guy, Cyberface. And then they steal the armor of this other villain and put it on to Brady <laughs> yeah. to give him extra enhancements. And I'm just like, I don't know who any of these people are, but everybody is like, can you believe that we've combined all these characters? Even I have to admit, I had forgotten some of the characters while reading it because there's <laughs> so many. And even the side characters that were like, they also have, uh, oh God, what's the team? It, Barbaric is in it. Um, yeah, Freak Force. Freak Force, thank you. Uh, I, I, there's so many things happening in this, these issues. It's out of control. Again, yeah. even if you don't know the world, like it is just wild and crazy. And you're just like, okay, like I'm just, I'm watching this freight train. Like you said, just like keep rolling over every character. Everybody's getting destroyed, all that. Now, the one thing I'm going to say about this is, so I had heard that Savage Dragon comics were R-rated and extreme, <laughs> but- Boy, like the, <laughs> the sex scenes, right? Sex the scenes sex. using the N word, the homophobic slur run of this character watching two former superheroes named Adam and Bert, who then come together and kiss each other. So, yes, obviously a Batman 66 whole thing. They were gay all along. Like, but I'm just like, I assume Eric Larson is doing this as parody and poking fun at bigoted people. By including all this it, stuff, it, but... it does not read well today. I yeah. that that part made me cringe quite a bit, actually. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of cringing as I was reading it, but I I will say I think we everyone should know if you've read any tweet or anything. I don't think he's on Twitter anymore because he hates Elon Musk so much. But he's on Threads. He's a pretty liberal guy. I think he's he he's very progressive. Yeah, it's just how it's handled. I think it's the the times, right? It's the nineties. That character that's super homophobic and it just goes on and on and there's no payoff towards that horrible character is like, oh. Yeah, but that being said, the actual characterizations, like yeah. each character is pretty distinct. They have a history. They have like an attitude that they're pulling from. And I do like that. But despite the sheer volume of characters, I can tell them apart. The way the dialogue is structured for them, the conversations they're having back and forth are very fun, especially like Dragon and his ex-partner Alex, right? Like they they just have a great rapport. It's very fun. So like overall, you will enjoy just 
grabbing a random issue because you're just like, okay, like something happened here and I, I don't know everything, but I, I gather what I need to gather. You know? And I, I only pick up random ones now based on like cover and stuff. So I, and it's the same. It hasn't changed. He's... Yeah, yeah, I assume so after all these years. So and we should say, so Wizard felt the same way. They gave this book an A minus. Okay, so they just, they, they gave an A to Thor, an A minus Savage Dragon just under Thor at this time in their minds. So that's uh, that's pretty impressive. It's what Wizard was looking for, just a good time. We'll see whether you agree. We we did uh, on our Eric Larson interview on YouTube, somebody's like, oh, you called out Savage Dragon fans. I'm a Savage Dragon fan. And he gave his whole history. So we continue to hear from you guys. You're out there somewhere. You can tell us about your favorite issues, your favorite characters. We want you to have a voice. So in the meantime, though, that uh, wraps up this edition of Wizards Half. We want to thank you guys all for checking out this particular episode, the fun that we're having here. Hope you liked all of Mike's behind-the-scenes stories of the entertainment industry. So more to come on future episodes, I am sure. As far as what's going on in the world of Wizards, so we are actually going to be doing the Superman special from 1998. So that is coming up next for you all. We have Joe Marcello from the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast, who's actually interviewed quite a few Superman writers over the years. He's a huge Superman fan. So that's going to be a great conversation. Plus, I will be back with episode 89. We're probably arranging a guest for that one as well. So we'll keep you posted. Speaking of keeping you posted... Find us on social media at Wizards Comics, wherever you uh, check in on the conversations and discourses of the internet at your own peril. Um, <laughs> of course, you can also find us at wizardscomics.com for over 260 episodes of the podcast if you want to binge and catch up. We are a part of the Geekster Network now as uh, this transition has taken place for the Retro Network. Make sure you get over to theretronetwork.com where all the Geekster hub is located find out about comic book month we talked about it at length on the main episode but we want to hear your stories we want to see your collections and you can win a vintage prize pack so go ahead and jump out over there and of course also the youtube channel stay subscribed to wizards the podcast guide to comics on youtube because we continue our comic card crazy series we're going through all the image founders their trading cards inspired by their comics and everything else so we'd love to have you over there and get your thoughts but hey in the meantime Take it away, Mike. Keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.